Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell, Philip Matthew, and Spencer Cowan here tonight. As we bring you Talking in Circles, we're going to discuss uh, the all-star race from Bristol Motor Speedway. We're also going to discuss the weekend that was at Homestead Miami Speedway. We're going to talk about Talladega Super Speedway. There's uh, two events in NASCAR Xfinity and NASCAR uh, Cup Series events at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. Anything you want to chime in on, 917-889-8280. A lot of news kind of pouring out here. Also announced uh, recently that NASCAR is going to move the numbers a little bit back for the all-star race. We'll touch on that as well here. Uh, at The one that's going to be run at Bristol here in 2020, we'll touch on that. 917-889-8280. That is the number to call here tonight on Talking in Circles. So uh, here it is, you know, the all-star race, which has been held at Charlotte Motor Speedway pretty much since – uh, 1985. It, originally, when this race was created, the Winston, the All-Star Race, whatever you want to call it, it was a um, a race that had initially thought they were going to move it to different racetracks. Yet, they moved to Atlanta, and they realized that kind of didn't really work that well, the race at Atlanta, so they went back to Charlotte in 87, and it's been at Charlotte every year since. Now, I like the team aspect of it, of this All-Star Race. I think it's it's fun. It's a fun aspect of it. Um, They had to move this race here in 2020 because of the coronavirus. The COVID-19 numbers in and around Charlotte, North Carolina are up. Um, The numbers in Bristol, Tennessee are a little bit down. They wanted to do it in front of fans, so they are going to do it at Bristol Motor Speedway, a half-mile short track, instead of Charlotte Motor Speedway, uh, the the one-and-a-half-mile track. intermediate track that, that we know as Charlotte Motor Speedway. Um, it's going to be different here. Spencer, um, what are your thoughts on moving this race to uh, Bristol Motor Speedway? I mean, obviously, Bristol's a fun and iconic short track. What are your thoughts about moving that race to Bristol Motor Speedway? Yeah, I mean, if they're going to move it from Charlotte and – stay somewhat close to the race shops. That's a track to do it. I mean, that track produces great racing. I mean, we just saw a great race there two weeks ago when Brad capped it off. Um, you know, the all-star race has been at Charlotte, you know, ever since I can remember. And, um, you know, I was just sitting here thinking as you were talking, I was like, well, you know, MLB and all them guys, they play it at a different field, you know. Um, why not, you know, maybe this could be a sign of moving it every year. Um, and I'm not saying – run all the way out to California and do an all-star race. I'm saying, you know, pick the tracks that are close to the race shop and um, tracks that are close to the race shop and, you know, uh, keep changing back and forth through, you know, just say it's five tracks that are close to the race shop uh, every year, go to those. We could see that. I mean, other sports do it. I don't see why we can't. I mean, it's an all-star race. It's supposed to be fun. It's no points. It's for money only. It's bragging rights. So, you know, like I said, this is a track to do it to if you're going to move it, move it. It's, it's close. Um, but, yeah, that could be a good idea to move it. You know, like I said, pick those five tracks. Or it might be more tracks. I don't know. Um, but don't run out far and do it. You know, stay close to the race shop because it doesn't make sense to run all the way out there to the West Coast and do one. But, um, you know, that could be a new sign. And it'll be fun. It's different. And, you know, but the Bristol is a good track. If they were going to move it, that's definitely the track you need to go to. Well, and your point is well taken, Spencer. I think um, when you look at at the All Star Race and 
Uh, I'll, I'm not going to lie, you know, it has gotten stale. And I was actually going to do a, a synopsis. Uh, I've been watching All-Star races over the last, I'd say, week and a half. And I was going to do a, a, a little thing on the All-Star race and really what happened to the All-Star race. Because when I was a kid, I felt like the All-Star race just had a lot more juice than it does now. I believe there's several reasons for that, and I won't get into that right now. But I think part of that, uh, bringing the excitement back to the All-Star race, was maybe moving it. But here's the problem with that, and you're right. Listen, I would totally be for if you wanted to move to Martinsville. That's close to driving to Darlington. Sure, let's do it. You know, uh, even Richmond, if you want to go up there. and not go out west, but go to Richmond. But there's a huge problem with that. SMI. SMI owns in the in the northeast in the southeast I should say, SMI owns three racetracks. They own Bristol, they own Charlotte Motor Speedway, and they own Atlanta Motor Speedway. That's it. So if if this race is not going to go away from an SMI track, so it's going to be one of those three racetracks. And to me, if we're going to run it at Atlanta, might as well run it at Charlotte because they're pretty much the same racetrack. I know Atlanta's got a lot more wear, but they're going to pave that thing probably anyway. So it's, it's going to be pretty much the same racetrack after that. Atlanta is Charlotte's That's sister. True. So it'll be really, it's really going to be Charlotte and Bristol. That's it. Um, but, Philip, do you agree? I mean, I don't know what your take is on this, on this moving it to Bristol. And I, listen, I'm excited. I think it's going to be great. Uh, a half-mile short track, um, high bank short track. We just saw Spencer set a great race there with, with Brad Kozlowski winning not too, uh, not too long ago. Um, it's certainly going to add a little bit. It's going to make this this a little bit different. I'm curious to see a lot of how, how everything's going to play out. The use of the stage where the drivers walk down. They do that at Bristol, too. So, uh, But I'm not sure it's that close to the grandstands. Um, so they're going to have to work all that out and figure all that out. But what are your thoughts on moving the All-Star Race to Bristol, Phillip? Uh, again, I know it's sort of tradition to have it at Charlotte. But do you think it was time to move that race? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree, or I think that it was time. The time had passed for the All-Star Race at Charlotte, at least for now. Um, I think it was convenient. I mean, it one, yeah, COVID-19 is, is a thing, and obviously it hasn't gone away for whatever, depending on where it is in different pockets of the country still, and it's actually increasing in some places. But the the notion of having another all having the all star race, I'm not so sure that there's people that really within the industry that really think that it is worth even doing in the middle of a week in July when they're on this grind. I, I honestly believe that this was actually there. It was kind of a a, a waste, and so you add that to the fact that Charlotte can put on a the good race, the 550 rules package, the bad tires, this, that, other thing, whatever. All those things came together, and then you add COVID being in play, and you had a race at Bristol a couple of weeks ago that was by far probably, you could say, four out of every five people, if not more, would say was a really good race. And they have a different rules package. Bad year seems to have a decent product, which doesn't happen very often for them. All that stuff is in, in the positive. And now it's almost a reaction. They're trying to utilize the momentum that they have from that race and say, hey, let's go and 
spring the race over to Bristol and see what happens. They're going to have 30,000 fans. So it'll, it'll be like an old school Bristol race because way back when, that's how many fans they used to hold in the place. So it's good. It, if they're going to end up having to do, if they wanted to do this race, they needed to move it or they had to do something different. So by doing it at a racetrack where they kind of have an idea, they could actually have a decent race there. Granted, it'll be in the dark, so these cars don't seem to um, run as well in the in the in at night than they do during the day. But I like it. It's good. It's it's a positive change. It's a very uh, a new. It's a new sign. But I think it's a lot of what SMI has been out here in recent weeks, making a lot of moves and a lot of changes. And I think there's other things that have been talked about uh, online as well about other changes they're looking to make. So I think SMI, unlike ISC, or whatever they want to call themselves, they're one conglomeration now, um, but they are doing what they have to do to at least provide the fans a good product generally. Yeah, but Philip, I don't want to get into the the, uh, the notion that this was done because they felt the All-Star race was in bad shape. That's not the case here. This was moved, and they came out and said this. This was moved because of the COVID-19 numbers. That's it, period. Strictly, that's it. It wasn't moved because they said, you know what, guys? We've been hearing you. We know that you've been been saying we want the All-Star race at a different racetrack. We want more short tracks on the schedule. So we decided we can't really give you more points races, but let's give you a short track for the All-Star race. Do that here. And that's not – you know, Steve O'Donnell couldn't even commit to the All-Star race being at Bristol for 2021. That's a problem to me because the fans have been sitting here the entire time for years and years saying we want more short tracks, and they still can't figure out that nobody wants to race at Charlotte. Everybody wants that at Bristol. So to me, um, it wasn't done because um, – they wanted it, you know, at Bristol. They did it because of the COVID numbers. Now, I don't care how it got there. I think it's going to be a better race, um, especially with the package we have now for the for these intermediate racetracks, which said that 80% of the fans liked it, which, okay. Um, but I think it's going to be a better race. So I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, this format we've, we've seen, and it's changed a lot, Philip, over the last – however many years now, 35 years, this has changed um, to this format. So I guess what my question is, what do you, what do you think we're going to see here? I mean, are you a little con- afraid of, of the race being, I don't know, is, is there something at Bristol that can make this race not feel like the all-star race where there's something that Charlotte provides us that, you know, uh, Bristol might not be able to. Are you worried that there's only going to be four cars on the lead lap maybe in the fi- on that final stage, and they're going to have to figure out a way to get that many cars on the, on the lead lap? Because remember, there's going to be probably 20, 21 cars in that race. Um, and if you have a segment that's 25 laps, you know, and a leader gets out front of Bristol, sure, they're going to get a lap traffic, but, you know, you never know how that could play out. Somebody wrecks a lot of wrecks where they take out a lot of cars. Russell's sort of that self-cleaning racetrack. Charlotte's not so much. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to complain about the All-Stars because I think it's a great move. 
But I guess what I'm asking is, is as a fan, and I'm, I'm not trying to be biased here, uh, where it's going to say everything's going to be great at Bristol. Is there something that you can see in every action has a consequence, every action has, has uh, uh, you know, there's every good thing and a bad thing to a move. So I guess what I'm asking, is there anything that I can't see right now uh, as a fan that you look at and say, keep this in mind here because this is what could happen at Bristol. How about, you know, and it should be a problem in the all-star race, but the different pit stalls on, on both sides of the racetrack, um, could that be a problem and maybe the open for that, for that matter? So um, I'm just curious, is, is there any foreseen problems right now? I was thinking about it that you see that could be a problem here for the all-star race at Bristol. I mean, I would, my concern would be the, the tire and I've said it. I mean, the fact is a short track tire they had at Martinsville might've been the best tire they've made in a long time, but they're just as liable to make a bad one. And then you can combine that with it being at night and they're not able to get the PJ one, I to get the PJ one activated, let's say. So then they're they are kind of in a no man's land in terms of a groove. They might have to run the middle, and so they may have a one groove racetrack. Those are the things that could be in play if we're gonna go down that road. Uh, because they've ground off that top line, they don't want people to run the wall until you know they kind of worn out the tires. I think that could be uh, the group having a one groove racetrack, which at the end of the day, they've had a Charlotte for years. Uh, that could be a, a, a concern. I, I also, in the last however many years of the night racing, I think the product gets worse at night, unfortunately. And so there's that, but I, I would, I would venture to say that if they're going to make this, they had to make this move under the circumstances they did, and they're going through all these other things. I think they're going to try to figure out a way to make sure that it actually comes off. For sure. And, and listen, I think any problem that I can envision right now to me, um, I look at it and say, it's not that big of a deal. You know, uh, yeah. I'd rather have a better show on the racetrack. I'm, you know, I'm all for that. Um, I think what we saw at Bristol was very, very promising the last time we went there. So it's going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, it's the all-star race. It's it's going to be wild to me because when you automatically think of all-stars, you think of Charlotte. And uh, how about the fact that these teams were not, you know, we're kind of throwing a short track into a lot of, of – a run of a lot of different style racetracks other than short tracks. Let me, let me kind of bring it back in here. So we have a short track doubled into a, with a lot of intermediates or, or big time tracks like Poconos in there. You have Kansas, you have Kentucky, you have all these big racetracks. And that's just the way the schedule falls. I'm not trying to kill NASCAR for that right now. Um, that's the way the schedule falls with this COVID-19 thing. But I guess what I'm asking you is, Spencer, are you at all concerned about teams bringing not their best stuff to this all-star race where they're sort of going to sit there and go, we're going to bring a normal short track car to this race and not really give it our, our best shot to win the million dollars because we don't want to tear up a car, a good race car car we just built for this. Are you at all concerned about that? Um, I mean, 
that's tough to say because the only ones who knows if they're not bringing their best stuff is the team. I mean, we're, I mean, we can't sit there and look at a car and determine whether that's not their best piece or not. Um, I mean, Bristol, you're, I mean, it's like Martinsville. You're, you're no, the car's going to have scratches. It's going to have a little bit of dings. You're going to have bumper damage. You're going to have this and you're going to have that. Um, you know, we've mentioned this. I don't know if it was last year or I think it was last year that, you know, a million dollars, is it really worth coming to tear up a race car? Because you have so much more invested into that. Um, especially if you're a team that have four cars. I mean, you know, only one driver is going to win the million bucks. So it's tough to say. It really is. I mean, it, you know, these good guys like Stort Haas and all them, them building the car don't really hurt them. Um, but you have these other teams, you know, that aren't as big as Stort Haas that are in the show. Um, they might, you know, they might bring an older car. You know, they might bring, they might have a car off to the side that they ran at Bristol last year. Who knows? We don't know what they have in the race shop. Um, so, but it could be a possibility where they don't bring their best stuff. And I just want to touch on what you said before. The only thing that's going to keep this from me thinking that it's not the, is the name of the racetrack. Because when you think of the all-star race, you do think of Charlotte. Um, that's the only thing that's going to keep me of thinking this is not the all-star race. It's just the name of the racetrack because Bristol produces great racing. And if I got news for you, if you don't like Bristol racing, then stop watching because that is NASCAR. I mean, that short track racing is the best racing you are going to get. It just is. I mean, it's beating and banging. It's 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 racing. You have to go, go, go. Um, it's short track. You slip up, you're going to lose a lap quick. So uh, I think, I mean, that's the only the reason, that's the only thing. I mean, I really don't know. Um, I would say some teams might not bring their best stuff. I mean, why tear up a good race car? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it played. And, I, and the only reason why I ask that is just because we got so many long, uh, so long time between short track races that I'm not, you know, when we see, normally see the All-Star race, Charlotte is next week. The 600 is next week. So they're going over, testing for, you know, the 600 or, um, you know, this is the car we're going to run in the 600, so we want to get some laps on it. Or just any kind of, you know, hey, this is something we're going to mile and a half to what kind of our bread and butter, so we're going to run this race and try and learn as much as we can. Short tracks are a little different. How about this, Philip, from this angle of it? Do you think this will even the playing field a little bit? Um for teams like, let's just hypothetically say Bubba Wallace, for example. You know, Bubba's a very good – that 43 team is a lot more competitive at places like Martinsville and Bristol than they are at a Charlotte or a, you know, Kansas. Um, and usually when we see these teams transfer over from the Open to the All-Star Race, usually they don't win. I know it's happened a few times with Michael Waltrip, uh, Ryan Newman, um, you also had uh, uh, Casey Kane do it with the fan vote a couple of years ago. Kyle Larson. Yeah. So Kyle Larson do it exactly. So but that's four times in the last 25 years. And, again, those are big-time Ganassi teams. But is there a possibility, you think, where this sort of evens the playing field? I guess I'm asking this. Like when the Open, when you look at the Open, you could kind of point out five or six teams that go, okay, they have a chance of advancing to, uh, to, the, to the big show. Now you look at it and say, can the Richard Petty Motorsports team get in there? Can a front row motorsports team get in there? Can a um, a JTG daughter team with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. get into that race because it's at a short check? And I know RPM made it last year, but do you think this sort of evens that playing field here a little bit, Philip? Yeah, that was one thing I thought about great when they announced it earlier today or the rumors started coming out. I'm like, you – 
give Bubba last year ended up making it. He won one of the one of the stages or whatever to to get in, and he actually ran well in the All Star race. But generally speaking, that doesn't happen. That isn't something that's going to happen on on the regular. You look at what Corey LaJoy did at Martinsville uh, last week, and that team in general, what they're known for and what they do. They're not li- likely to go and have have a great opportunity if the race was run at Charlotte relative versus being run at a short track. It is a good thing, and it makes the open even more compelling. Generally, open I think is more compelling than the actual All Star race uh, because you have younger drivers, drivers that have never won. You have teams that have that are kind of on the cusp here and there. I think it's a positive and net positive for uh, this race and whether whoever it may be, whether it's a Tyler Reddick, whether all the rookies you have in there, John Hunter Nemechek, the, the, um, Chris Bell, those are all opportunities. I don't know how what they haven't announced the segments or how long the race is going to be or how many people are going to advance. I mean, there's 15 drivers in right now, I believe, off of the raw count I did earlier. So I would assume they want an even number. So it'd be like 18 or 20 drivers. So um, it, it, it should be they, something to see. They announced it's going to be what it was last year, which is the driver's in each stage, which one each stage advance, yeah. and then you have the fan vote. So yeah. that's four go- four drivers that would uh, transfer over into from the open to the main show. So that's I guess 19 guys. As it's yeah. right now, there, now there's opportunities for for obviously Sunday at Talladega is an opportunity for somebody to put their name into the to the All Star race um, before you know it, the cutoff comes. Um, is there something, Spencer, and I know it's kind of like very new and we haven't had a lot of time to think about this, but is there something in the all-star race you'd like to see kind of implemented here at Bristol Motor Speedway? Um, you know, there's a lot of different things. I don't mind getting creative in this all-star race and trying some things that people have never really tried before. Um, if you remember a couple of years ago, we ran the rules package here and we never ran it the rest of the year. So is there something that here at Bristol you want to see implemented that, you know, you'd like to see NASCAR try for the future? I mean, I don't know. I don't really know what they can try. I mean, such a short notice. Um, kind of. Um, I mean, I guess you could throw – the only thing I can really see is a different package that they have planned on using – um, you know, later on, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, they, they come out with all these different packages or whatever you want to call them. Um, but it's, you know, we weren't expecting it. I don't know if the teams expected this. Um, but you know, everybody's mind was going to Charlotte. So I, I mean, I don't know. I think, I, I think since it's short notice and with everything going on, I think we just need to go there and have fun and see a good show. Um, it's it's kind of hard to say, you know. I really I really don't know. Um, I mean, I, I I can't sit here and think off the top of my head what you could actually try that they could do in the future, um, because 
it's just an all-star race. I mean, you have your stages. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's a race for stages and, you know, people race their way in. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really have none off the top of my head that I can think that they could do to, uh, use later on in the year or, um, shit, maybe bring a different tire that they never run. You know, they could do anything like that. You know, we, we just don't know. So, um, but I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, um, I don't know, I kind of screwed that up yet, but there's always there's been this, this sort of this, um, this thing, I don't know if you're aware on social media and what they've done at short tracks. And I'm sure Philip knows what I'm referring to is the choose cone. And a lot of people want to see that implemented in NASCAR where, you know, you kind of just pick which line you're going to line up in, um, and then go from there. Uh, I think if we were going to do that, I, to me, I'd rather do single file restarts and go back to the old school way of doing it. If we were going to do that, but that's just me. But a lot of people are really big on this choose cone. I've seen a lot of people and a lot of fans say, I want to see NASCAR implement that. Um, to me, I, that would be a perfect opportunity to try this there at the all-star race. Um, so, I would like to see that implemented, especially the short track where it's more commonplace, you know, in America. And, and we can kind of see if we like it or not. Like, oh, I, I don't know, you know, that guy was running 15th all day and he got the restart third and the leaders took each other out and he won and that's kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, it's just kind of, to me, would be a fun thing to try at the all-star race. Final thoughts, Philip, on this all-star race moving to Bristol Motor Speedway before we move on to Homestead Miami Speedway. It's, I mean, under the circumstances that were under COVID-19, it was a necessary move, but I would also come and come out and say that it might be a move for the future. And it, if it comes and as it, as I said earlier, if it comes off and people enjoy it and the race is good, you know, SMI really has a decision to make, and NASCAR as well, and it might move to what Spencer is talking about in terms of kind of moving it around, but really it's just going to stay at Bristol, and they may alternate between Bristol and Charlotte, which is fine, and uh, maybe they'll run the Roval for the for the All-Star race, or they might do something like that, or they might run the quarter-mile track. Who knows? It, it might bring about some different changes. So it's under the circumstances we're under for them to be able to move uh, Bristol is, uh, is fine. It's going to be uh, interesting to see. For sure. 917-889-8280. Let's number call here tonight on Talking Circles. You want to join the show and talk about anything, the All-Star Race moving to Bristol or anything that happened last weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway, which is where we go next. Uh, we'll start with the cup race, which was last night. Uh, it was delayed a little bit due to lightning. They ran five laps, and <laughs> then it was delayed again for a couple hours. And we finally got the things going, and everything turned out great. Um, it was a race that there was some controversy at the end. Denny Hamlin ended up in victory lane. It was his 40th career win. But some controversy at the end fell up with the Chase Elliott, Joey Logano thing. Now, if you're not familiar with exactly what happened there, um, Logano had fallen a couple of laps down towards the end of that race because he got into a pit road accident when a rookie driver who shall remain nameless, uh, but you can probably guess it, just 
decided to slam on the brakes in front of Joey Logano and Pitt Road, uh, and Logano had damage on his front nose. And really kind of took him out of the race as far as winning, uh, having a winning car. It really affected him aerodynamically. And with this package now, with the way it is, you can't even have a, you know, a dent or you're going to go way to, right to the back. So Logano went to the rear. He was a couple of laps down. Denny Hamlin and Chase Sellier battling for the lead in the closing stages of the event. And they approach Joey Logano's lap car. And Joey doesn't give the leaders a lot of room to race. Um, now, for fans who aren't really sh- sure about the rules or, or are not 100% up on the rules, there is no rule against the lap cars having to move out of the way. It's more of a gentleman's agreement or a courtesy to do that, but they don't have to do that. We saw Matt Kenseth at, at, at I think it was uh, Martinsville, run the leaders really hard a couple of laps down, and nobody really had that big of a problem with it. But since Chase Elliott kind of got into Joey Logano at Bristol, and a lot of people had problems with Joey Logano there, they thought, well, maybe there was something to it because Chase couldn't get around Denny Hamlin, and it broke a lot of his momentum, and Chase could never get past Denny Hamlin, and Denny Hamlin went on to win even after they passed Joey Logano. Now, Chase, to his credit, never said anything about it in, victory le- and, uh, in his post-race comments. He just said, I need to get, be better getting around lap traffic. Uh, what were your thoughts on that whole situation, Philip? Again, it's sort of a, um, it's a, it's sort of a, a weird situation, but what were your thoughts about Logano running the leaders hard there? Do you think he did anything wrong? What are your thoughts? Now, I, I look at that whole deal and NASCAR is looking for a story or a rivalry and changing it up in terms of some of the other stories that are going on with the sport and what we're dealing with. Logano got screwed uh, early in the race. He was leading and he had a really good car. And that pit stop not only hurt his team, it hurt the four car as well. And neither the four or the 22 basically contended after that. The 21 was able to recover and make something of their day. But they were all affected by rookie that we don't need to name uh, being in, in completely incapable of driving a race car, uh, basically being the male Miss uh, male Danica Patrick. And Logano going in and racing Clyde and, and Denny hard, the fact is he has beefs. When you look at Joey Logano, we talked about it during the Bristol deal, about who he's had beefs with. He has beefs with Hamlin and Kyle Busch and Martin Truex. He has so he has beefs with now. Now there's a beef with with Clyde. He's had beefs with. I think he probably had a beef with with, with Brad too, you know, and and pissed off Ryan Blaney. But in the end, it, it doesn't matter. Like Logano, he may have chose at that moment to to kind of be in the way because that was to basically be completely out of the race because at a lap down, you could take a wave around, you could do whatever. But once you fall two laps down, you're kind of screwed unless you're Chase Briscoe. Uh, But I don't, it is what it is. When you consider the rules package they have, it's very difficult to make a pass. So you can make the argument that trying to make a pass or get around people that are going at a similar speed which the 22 car was basically going at it around a similar speed as the 11 and the nine. So trying to get around them would be harder. 
going around cellar dwellers versus on old tires is going to be much easier if they look in their mirror. And it's it's much ado about nothing. Clyde ha- is 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 kind of a, a a passive guy. He he wanted to move Logano. He could have. He didn't. Uh, it, was it the reason why he lost the race? We can make that argument, but Hamlin had a better car than him anyway. Uh, I don't think that they either of them really were could have been the best car. I think somebody we'll discuss probably in a few moments may have had as good if not a better car, but because of the rules package, he couldn't make moves necessary to get up there and truly show uh, what he had. Yeah, and I want to get Spencer's opinion on this too before we, we move on with the race. And and not, not exactly, Spencer, about the Logano and Elliott situation, but how do you feel in general what do you think the rules should be in general as far as a gentleman's agreement um, as, as far as lap cars? Is it, are you okay with a lap car running hard as he can if he's staying on the lead lap or trying to stay in the lead lap or if he's one lap down going to two laps down? Are you okay with it at any time of the race? Is there certain times in a race where you should run the leader hard and when you shouldn't run a leader hard as a lap car? What is your take on that situation with lap cars, because it's tricky, and it's, cer- it's certainly a lot more tricky at a place like Homestead, where it's a mile-and-a-half track instead of a short track, uh, and there's multiple lanes at Homestead, than at a short track where there's only one or two lanes. Where you know, So what are your thoughts on, on, on lap cars in general running with the leaders? What are your thoughts? Um, all right. I believe... You know, I think NASCAR does a great job. You know, if a car is super, super slow, you know, tell them to pull over. And, you know, majority of the times that NASCAR does that, them cars, you know, are several, several, several laps down. Um, with Logano being a lap down, going to two laps down, there's 30 laps left in the race. Um, anything can happen. I mean, you can have two more cautions in 30 laps. Um, you know, Logano is getting paid to drive the race car. He has his sponsors to race for. His team has worked hard on pit road all day long. They have a race. He he was just as fast as both of the two leaders. Um, so I don't really see why he should have to pull over. Um, you know, like I said, 30 laps is a lot, lot of racing left on a mile and a half. Um, now I think there should be a rule maybe if, you know, depending on the size track you're on, if you're at, you know, just say Daytona or Talladega with 10 laps to go, you know, that's a lot of racing there. And, um, but if you're at a mile and a half track with, you know, say 10 laps to go, the odds of you getting your two laps back are slim to none. Um, so maybe they need to have a lap, you know, if there's under a certain amount of laps, um, then you should have, you know, wave them, tell them, Hey, you know, there's only 10 laps to go on a mile and a half racetrack. The odds of you getting your laps back, pull over, get out of the way, let the leaders race. But, like I said, they told me Talladega, 10 laps to go. Hell, there could be three, four cautions with 10 laps to go at Talladega. You know how chaotic and, you know, crazy they get. And he could have very well got his lap, you know, his lap back and been on the lead lap. And, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, they could do something like that. But, you know, what Logano's looking at it as, hey, I got wrecked at Bristol. You know, you cost me a race, I'm going to cost you a race. That's just how race car drivers are. Um, they don't forget about things. And 
But, you know, that could be an interesting way to look at it. I don't know if you guys agree, but um, depending on the track, certain amount of laps at the certain track could be a thing. And um, who knows? But I don't think you should, you know, have to pull over if you are running about the same speed. And, you know, it took a little bit for those two to pass Logano. You know, he actually kind of pulled away for a minute. And uh, Chase and, uh, you know, when Chase got beside Logano, that's when Hamlin followed Logano and able to get the draft and uh, maintain on the high side and pull away with it. And um, Chase made a good comeback back, and, you know, he scraped the wall a little bit, and that pretty much ended his chances. But um, that's the way I can see, you know, that could be an interesting way that they could go about it. Yeah, and and to me, um, what people forget is that the Logano was only a lap down, you know, and there's a big difference in NASCAR now between one lap down and two laps down. You can fight for the lucky dog if you take a wing around, you get back on the lead lap. So, you know, if if you're fighting to keep from going two laps down, there's certainly a reason to do that. So I just want to make that clear. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero. That's the number called here tonight. The Dixie Vodka four hundred. We're talking about a recap and. uh Denny Hamlin was your winner. I don't even know what else you can say. He led 137 of the races, 267 laps. He was tremendous. He's had a really, really – him and uh, Chris Gabehart have really took off on this 11 car. And last year, Denny Hamlin was very good, and he's and he's great again this year. Chase Sally had a solid second-place run. Ryan Blaney was in the top three or four all day long. He had a very good day. Um, but I think the guy a lot of people have now looked at and said – that's the guy that, and and I hate to put throw this label on him because I saw it on Twitter last night. And I said that kind of makes a lot of sense, but because he comes from a similar background, he's with a team that a lot of people think um, he could probably do a little bit better than, and that's a Kyle Larson comparison to Tyler Reddick. Um, and this is a kid who, listen, RCR I think's really picked up their stuff this year, but Tyler Reddick has been absolutely tremendous this year and um we saw it at i think it was phoenix when he was running in the top five there top 10 at phoenix earlier in the year finished seventh at darlington 13th at darlington's been getting stage points running running in the top 15 most of the time i know he said 17th in points but how about the night tyler reddick had last night at homestead miami speedway i'll start with you spencer i mean you were talking about during the race what were your thoughts on reddick and the way he performed. Um, and do you think this kid is is big thing here in NASCAR? Absolutely. I mean, you don't win two championships back-to-back uh, -back and not know what you're doing. Um, you know, Chevy as a whole has really stepped it up. But you have to look. I got news for you. I, I think Hemrick is a decent race car driver. Um, but Tyler Reddick has blown Hemrick's performance out of the water so far this year. And I think we would all three agree. Um, what he did at Homestead was impressive. I mean, he he likes running that wall. We've seen him done it in his two championships in the Xfinity Series. He runs that wall, and that helped him win with Junior. I mean, he only had two wins that year, and one of them was counting Homestead. And he just has that high lane figured out. It's, you know, you kind of have to look at him as, like, when you think of Reddick, you think of a high lane. And that's the same with Larson. You think of Larson, you think of a high lane. Uh, high lane type of race uh, race car driver. So um, I think he did a tremendous job. Um, you know, I definitely see him winning a race or two this year if uh, Chevy and that team can keep their stuff together. And look, I mean, every you know, all the Chevys have. I mean, Petty's been Petty Motorsports been doing good. Hendricks killing it with Chase, um, and it's showing. I mean, it really is showing. Um, but 
but I think for as good as Reddick did last night, that's a statement that he belongs in the Cup Series, uh, and he can really wheel the race car. I, I mean, I texted you guys midway through the race, and I said Reddick is – I mean, he stayed top three really all night. Uh, there was a few times where he was fourth, maybe fifth, but majority of the race he was top three. And when he was top three, he really wasn't that far behind the leaders. Um, he said he just had a little bit of a front grip issues and really couldn't get the car to turn the way he wanted to up by the wall with rubber up there. And he said, other than that, the car was good. Um, and it showed. So I think a tremendous race for him. Um, he keeps running like that. He'll be in the playoffs. And there's no telling how far he can go in the playoffs. I mean, he gets these right couple tracks to pull off a win, be consistent, make it to the round of eight. Who knows? Um, but I think uh, – that was a statement put on here that, hey, I belong here, and, you know, I'm not going to get pushed around just because I'm a rookie. Yeah, and I think what's more impressive is it's just the fact that it's an RCR car. We haven't really seen somebody perform like this at RCR and really consistently run in the top 10, top 15, all really since Kevin Harvick's been there. Now, Austin Dillon's picked up his game this year as well, and I don't want that to be for not either. Um, but, listen, I, I think there's certainly – a couple of guys last night, Philip, who had good nights. Um, Redick, of course. Eric Amarola, who really had a tough start to uh, the 2020 season. And, uh, you know, it was looking pretty bad for him, especially recently. They, they really kind of fell fallen off since the pandemic. But they come out a solid top five run. Uh, to me, the two guys who really needed good runs and really, really had them were Tyler Redick and Eric Amarola. Uh, what were your thoughts on 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 and, and Christopher Bell obviously at eighth? What yeah. were your thoughts on those guys? Yeah, I mean we can. You mentioned Dylan, is, him and Whitney had had their first child ace earlier in the morning, and then Austin flew flew down to Homestead and actually did pretty good too. So I mean it it's we can get into it. I mean I've been talking about. Excuse me, Tyler Reddick. Last year, when he, the way he ran in that Xfinity car was one thing, and what I also look at is his run at Kansas last May or whatever it was, and how well he ran in that race with that 550 package and all these different things. And it's it was interesting to me that the team that doesn't show up, they showed up one time, race and they were that good and they were competitive top 15 and they basically were ahead of the veteran drivers, the Daniel Hemrick and, I mean, Daniel Hemrick was a rookie last year and Dylan. And it it was something to me about what he did in those cars and the fact that he showed up at a track that the whole entire weekend they were talking about him. The whole weekend they were talking about Tyler Reddick. For a week before they got to Homestead, they were like, oh, Tyler Reddick, he's going to work He's going to work the fence. He's going to do this. And he literally showed up in prime time. And it's Pop-Pop has been on Tyler Reddick. He, he has a look about when – when he talks about Tyler Reddick, I've, I've seen that look on Richard Childress's face very few times. Uh, one of them involved Dale Earnhardt, of course, um, and we know everything with Dale Earnhardt. And there was times when he had Kevin Harvick. And um, I'm not trying to compare those two drivers together, or I'm not trying to say that Tyler Reddick is going to be at that level. 
But the fact of the matter is, R.C. knows he has something here. He has a foundational piece. And to run the way he ran, and if he was able to get through the center a little better and they had a little more horsepower, I don't think Denny Hamlin wins that race yesterday. I think Tyler Reddick wins that race because his car was really – he came from 24th to 5th with with relative ease. It, it literally did it with, like, no problem. And then once he got up to the top five, I think that this is a learning experience for OCR to see what they need to do to get just a little bit faster to get past the Gibbs, the, the Hendrick, the Penske, the, those kind of teams, to go and be in that top line, which they have not been since 2014 you know, or 2013. And you, Eric Almirola uh, with Mike Bogoravich, that team has had a lot of rough luck. They're still in the, the the playoff right now. Points haven't been great, but I think that combination is an underrated combination. There's stuff with contracts and things with Almirola trying to race for a job. They have opportunities mm-hmm. to make something happen, and we'll see what happens with that uh, as the rest of the season goes on, as we've already gotten through a third of the season. Yeah, it's crazy to think we've already gotten through a third of the season considering we only had four races before the pandemic, but they've been rallying them off, and we're 12 races through, and it gives me it gives you uh, a good amount of races to really kind of judge things and, and, and grade things and see who's running good, see who's not. And, um, you know, uh, RCR has really figured it out. There's no question. I think the Chevrolets have figured it out, like Spencer said. I, I agree with all that. So, um you know, as you go a little bit further down into the running order, there's a couple of guys who, who stand out to me. One was Kyle Busch, sixth-place run. Not horrible. Listen, I don't think Kyle's had a horrible year, but it's not been the Kyle Busch year in the Cup Series we normally see where, you know, him, since him and Adam Stevens have gotten together, Kyle has been tremendous. And he's not tremendous right now. Um, he's good. They're good. They, I mean, I don't think Kyle Busch could ever – run a season in his prime, which he is certainly is in his prime, and not have a good year. I just think he's got that much skill, and, and there's that much, um, you know, the, the team is that good at Joe Gibbs Racing, where they're always going to be good. But it's just not – they're not clicking on all cylinders right now on that 18 car. And you could argue with what Martin Truex Jr. did at Martinsville and what Denny Hamlin's done this year – you can argue Kyle Busch is the third best Joe Gibbs racing car right now. Eric Jones is is he's another he's just a guy who just seems to have these weird things come up, and you know, it derails a good finish every now and then for him. And you're like, man, I'm just waiting for him to be consistent. So you can argue that Kyle's sort of the third best Joe Gibbs racing car right now. I'm not concerned about him to a degree, but it's certainly odd not to, you know watching all these races and seeing Denny Hamlin as the, the breadwinner of Joe Gibbs Racing and not Kyle Busch. Uh, I will say that. Austin Dillon, we, t- we talked about that. Good job, fellow, by bringing up the fact that he had a, he, him and Whitney had a baby on Sunday morning. They come, He comes uh, comes to Homestead, flies in, finishes seventh. A nice, solid day for him. RCR's really figured it out. Christopher Bell in eighth. He really needed that. William Byron ninth. Brad Kislowski finished tenth. Uh, Philip, I guess I'll, I'll let you talk about Kislowski here for a little bit. Um what were your thoughts on his night? I mean, to me, he was a 10th to 15th place car for most of the night there. I don't know if he was any better than that. 
Uh, what were your thoughts on on the two car? Um, you know, Logano was a very was very fast until he had his issue, and Blaney was in the top three all night. Uh, what were your thoughts on Kislowski, and what were the issues there following that with that team? They they had speed on that initial run before the first lightning, the ten laps or five laps or however many laps they had before the lightning, and I think uh, they were up there. Uh, prior to the second stoppage, they were able to get stage points in the first stage and then disappeared after that. They weren't as quick or weren't a factor uh, yesterday at all, uh, which was disappointing for me based on some of the bets I made. But frankly, when you consider they've won couple of races this year it's the same thing with Danny and all these other people once you've won a race even if you don't have the best day it's not a big deal he kept his top 10 streak alive over seven straight top 10 going on so since the return from the 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 stoppage the two team has been able to compete a lot uh, to be be more competitive be more of a factor and it, that's a positive sign I mean obviously Blaney was the class of the Penske team uh, you know the 21 had his issues too because of the, the that particular pit incident but he still got a top 15 Logano's day was done but they had a relatively fast race car to get a top 10 finish it's all good uh, no concerns since now Homestead's not the final race of the year. So uh, it's a disappointing thing in one end, but on the other, it's like, well, I guess in this case, if you were, we're going to have a throwaway race, having a throwaway race at a, at a track where you're not going to go back to is not such a big, big problem. So good take it. Top 10 is better than DNS or some of the other things that could come from it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, if you go a little bit further down in the running order, you know, you look at, at the field, uh, Clint Boyer was 11th, Martin Trix Jr. 12th, Bubba Wallace 13th, solid day for that RPM team, uh, Matt Benedetto 14th, Michael McDowell 15th, back-to-back top 15 place finish for Michael McDowell and that front row motorsports team. A tremendous job there. Jimmy Johnson 16th, uh, Kurt Busch 17th, 18th was Alex Bowman, 19th, John Hartman-Nemichek, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. rounded out the top 20. Um, Spencer, I'll let you chime in here uh, on these guys here. I know there's there's a few names that were very interesting last night. Bubba Wallace, Martin Schoenig, we didn't really see a lot of last night. Bubba Wallace ran very good. Michael McDowell had a good day. Jimmy Johnson was out to lunch for most of the of the night, uh, and Kurt Busch really fell off at the end. Who in the 11 to 20 range there do you really look at and say you were most surprised about, whether in a good way or a bad way? Um, from last night's race? Well, I'll just do one of each real quick. Um, I think you would have to look at Bubba Wallace. I mean, and I'm leaving everything out of it. Um, I think he had a good run. I mean, you would not see Bubba Wallace uh, running like this last year. Nothing. I'm gonna, and I don't want anybody to take that the wrong way. It has nothing to do with um, his driving ability. It's just the team that he was with. You know, they were off last year, and they were really no good. Um, He had a few shine moments, like I mentioned, Indy finished second, I believe it was. Um, 
But 13th is not a bad run, you know, coming off that good run at Martinsville and then backing it up with 13th is solid. Um, just goes to prove that Chevy has found something once again. Um, and I guess I would say Jimmy Johnson, uh, just in 16th, you know, you know, with Chevy coming on as strong as they are and as, as good as Hendricks has been, you know, really this whole year um, with Bowman and really Chase showing um, a lot of speed that you would figure that the seven-time um, with 84 wins or whatever it is, 84, 83, um, would be better. I mean, he's won a race there in 2016 and um, won a championship there. That was his last time that he's went to victory lane there. So it's uh, it's pretty alarming why he's back there and you see his teammate running up front. Um, you know, maybe, a, you know, I don't know. Um, you would figure he would just be running up front. So that's my good and then that's my concerning picks. Yeah, there's certainly it was certainly a, a a thing to look at and you say, you know, what happened to Jimmy Johnson and he ended up 16th, which actually was a lot better than what he ran all night. Um, he I think he found some speed. He tweeted something interesting saying they found something that they couldn't change on a pit stop with the car, and if they had practice they could have changed it, but they didn't have practice so they kind of had to live with it, but they couldn't change it on a pit stop. So that was sort of interesting if you're a Jimmy Johnson fan where they kind of knew what the problem was. Um, and they can make the make the change, so that's good if, if you're a Jimmy Johnson fan. Uh, but just to put it in perspective, the, the two drivers who I was really impressed with last night, um, and I go by I'm going by owner points now. This year, driver points are a little bit skewed. I don't think the field's as deeper. You have Larson who ran some races, Newman who hasn't ran all the races, um, Kenseth in there as well. So I think owner points gives us a, a good idea of where everybody's sort of been this year. So Richard Petty Motorsports, after 12 races last year, was 29th in owner points. This year, they're 22nd. That's a seven-position gain. And they are two points behind 21st, and they are five points behind 20th. So they are right there in, in the sort of the next level of race teams. Um, so they certainly deserve a lot of credit this year. Uh, the 34 of Front Row Motorsports at this time last year, they were 30th in owner points. Uh, right now, the 34 for our motorsports is 25th in owner points. It's a five-position gain. So those two have really been, been they've been real good, um, and they deserve a lot of credit. Now the 41 has really taken a, a nosedive here in owner points uh, from a year ago. Last year, the 41 in owner points was 13th after 12 races. They are 27th. Another tough day. For Cole Custer, he ended up 22nd. He's a rookie driver. I felt personally they they rushed they rushed Custer up a, a year too early, but um, he certainly hasn't performed the way we we, we thought he should. Um, but was there anybody else last night, Philip? When you look at it, uh, who didn't have a good day? I mean, Kevin Harvick, he was he had a, a decent day going. He had a tire go down and it cost him a lot of positions at the end. He ended up 26th on the night, but he wasn't really a factor for the win even before that. Um, so he wasn't great last night. Matt Kenseth, another, um, just another dismal day for that 42 car. It just seems like they they just can't get any momentum built in that car right now. Um, and, and to me, here's the, the, the team that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but here's the team that, that I think is the biggest concern for me. And it's just when you look at what RCR has done and what Richard Petty Motorsports have, has done and it makes you scratch your head and say, what the heck's going on with Jermaine Racing? Because Ty Dillon has been in this series now. I think this is his third or fourth 
full-time year in the Cup Series. He, you know, the fact that this is his fourth full-time year, the fact that you know he's a young driver. To me, I'm not buying that anymore. He's got to start performing. Maybe it's Matt Borland. They got to do something over there to to improve their performance because right now they're 28th in owner points, and we haven't seen them pick up performance like we've seen with the 43, like we've seen with the eight and the three. It's just they've sort of been where they were last year. Um, to me, that's alarming there, and I know they had some issues last night where they couldn't find grip, but and they've had some some bad luck since the pandemic, but um, that's alarming to me. But is there somebody last night who, who finished you know outside the top 20 that you're really concerned about, Philip, for the season moving forward? And I'm not sure if um, what's going on there, but uh, yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of guys you can look at who finished outside the top 20 there last night who you're concerned about for sure. Um, one is, uh, like I said, Matt Kenseth who struggled. We talked about him at, at length on this show, but I think I'm also getting a little bit concerned um, from from the standpoint of uh, Rash Fenway Racing, and I know Rash Fenway hasn't performed that great here in recent years to begin with. Um, but, you know, last night they were behind front row motorsports cars and they really weren't even, uh, you know, I know Newman had some issues, but they weren't really that fast even to begin with that. Um, so Busher ended up in stage one and 10th, but they were dismal after that. They really fell, fell down and, and um, really was, was just not performing that great. So, um, you know, to me, I, I think it was something that when you look at it, they had struggled mightily in that car uh, for the 17 and for Rash Fenway. So that's a team I'm a little concerned about, um, Rash Fenway. And I'm going to try this again. Philip, how about you? Was there anybody who finished outside the top 20 that you kind of look at and say they had a bad day and they really need to pick it up here if they want to ha- you know, finish 2020 uh, strong at all? Yeah, and we, we seem to be having some technical difficulties with Philip here. Um, but how about you, Spencer? I'll, I'll pitch the question to you, and and, and we'll go back to, to Philip. Um, anybody outside the top 20 that you thought maybe struggled a little bit last night that you're concerned about? I know we talk about Kansas a lot, but anybody else you might look at and say um, they need to start picking up here for, for the 2020 season? Yeah, I'm not going to mention Kansas. I think uh, we're pretty – I'm pretty well just accepted the way that he's ran, and I think it's awful. Um, there's somebody I want to mention um, is Cole Custer. Um, I know he's a rookie, but you have – I mean, you're in – I guess you could probably say arguably top two team in NASCAR with Stuart Haas, and, you know, you see Harvick. And, yes, I'm not comparing Cole Custer to Harvick at all. I mean, Cole uh, Harvick is a champion. He's a future Hall of Famer, has 51 wins. Um, but you were in Stuart Haas, and Cole Custer was winning a lot in the Xfinity Series, and now you come up here, and yes, I know it's a whole other ball game. I don't want anybody to say I'm trying to compare those either, but um, your race cars are fast, and you you are you are um, put on your such your you have such high standards, is what I'm saying. Um, 
when you were with such a good team. I mean, you see Harvick running up front. Boyer's been running good. Almirola ran good last night, and Cole Custer just hasn't done that. He's been around 20th. He's been even worse than that. Um, and I know the kid can drive. You know, you don't. You, he dominated it the Xfinity Series with Bell and um, Reddick. But you, that's kind of unacceptable. You should be a little bit better. Um, like I said, I know he's a rookie, but 22nd last night, and you, you know he knows how to run there. He's won it in Homestead, Miami. He won there in 2017. So I, I just feel like if you're in a sore house car, you really should be running better. I mean, even 15th, I mean, would be a lot better than what he's been running. And 15th, you'd be like, yeah, not a bad run. He's a rookie. He's still getting used to these cars. But where he's running is kind of unacceptable. Um, so, yeah, that's a guy that I feel should really – he really needs to step it up and say, improve. Hey, I, you know, I can run these race cars. Um, but you can't yeah, – I mean, look at Reddick. He's a rookie too, and he's top three all night and had a tremendous run. So, you know what I'm saying? And they both were the big three in the Xfinity Series, so what's wrong with Custer? You know, if Reddick can do it, why not Custer? Um, yeah. So that's just a guy that stands out to me, you know. Yeah, no, listen, Spencer, I, I, I think you're right. I think everybody sort of expected, you know, these rookies to look at and say, you expect them to struggle. You know, you expect them to come out and, and not perform as well as they did in the Xfinity Series. That's sort of natural. And I sort of destroyed, not destroyed them, but I expected Bell to, to pick up his uh, performance here. And recently, Christopher Bell has. Um, you know, he's really um, seems to, to – to run a lot better here since Charlotte, since the 600, uh, ninth at Charlotte, ninth at Bristol, eighth at Homestead, 18th at Atlanta, which isn't great, but it's certainly uh, better than what he was doing um, before the pandemic. So Bell's sort of figured it out. He's moved up from since before the pandemic. Uh, he was 32nd in points. He's now 24th. So he's moved up eight spots. So he's done a little bit better, but Custer really haven't seen that from yet. Um, so that's certainly alarming if you're a Cole Custer or a Stuart Haas fan. Um, so, Philip, final word here on the um, the race from Homestead Miami Speedway. Who really stood out to you and who struggled? Uh, or, or just final thoughts on, on Homestead and what you saw from the Dixie Vodka 400. Yeah, I, I was supposed to go and say who do I think is struggling outside of that twice, and we finally are going to get to that here. I'm going to go off the line. I know Kansas in play, Cole Custer's, Spencer said, is another one very valid, but I'm going to go with somebody who finished in, in between both of those guys. I'm going to go with Ryan priest and the JTG Doherty effort. I mean, granted, they're not a big team. Granted, they're not a small team. They're just kind of in the middle. Uh, Brian priest had moments last year of good, good efforts. And then there was a lot of struggle there. Chris Busher, though, in that same car was a like a backdoor contender to try to make the playoff there in the second half of the year. They're 30th in points right now. And, I mean, they had a, a blown engine at Atlanta, so, of course, they lost a ton of points there. But to be completely honest, outside of the Daytona 500, I can't remember Priest being up there. And the fact that Priest, his his ability when he was in an Xfinity car in limited races for Joe Gibbs, he was always up front. His modified prowess, whenever he was in a modified, he was always a contender. It just seems weird to me that him and 
uh, that uh, his situation there, that hasn't come off. It's weird to me, and it's a lot of points to make up. I mean, of course, Talladega, Daytona are, are wild cards. JTG Doherty has fast cars. He could go out and win his first race on Sunday, and we could be having a completely different conversation. But right now, uh, 29th in, in points uh, is is not very good, and you're already a third of the way through the, the, the season. So you got a lot of work to do. Uh, that I would say Ryan Priest is the guy that I'll pick. And, you know, it's a shame that we're not running at Homestead for the finale. Uh, I can't agree more, Philip, uh, especially because gonna, we're going to go to Phoenix for that. But let me tell you something about Ryan Priest. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. And he's a guy who I, I was very, very high on. And when JTG hired him, I thought, ooh, I like that hire. It, it's a guy who not a lot of people had on their radar to, to get a cup ride, but he certainly deserves one because he's he's got a lot of skill and it just really hasn't worked out. And, uh, you know, I hope by this year when it ends – I'm saying something different about Ryan Priest because I really think he's very, very good. But um, I don't know. It's just it's been a it's been a struggle for him in a Cup Series. It really has. We'll move on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series races at Homestead, and then we'll talk about the trucks quick here, guys. And we'll we'll talk about Talladega. And Talladega is sort of this thing where we're not really gonna uh, discuss much because it's pretty much the same thing every time. It's a crapshoot. No matter who wins, who doesn't win. Um, as far as who wins and who doesn't win, but. Um, I do want to get to something about Talladega. So um, let's discuss Homestead quick. Obviously, there was two Xfinity Series races at Homestead Miami Speedway. Um, the first race was won by Harrison Burton. Uh, Burton was your winner. That was Austin Cedric second. Noah Gregson third. Anthony Alfredo fourth. And, Daniel, and Dale Earnhardt Jr., excuse me, was in the fifth position. It was a race that was pretty much dominated by Noah Gregson in the second half of that race. He had a huge, huge lead. Uh, the junior motorsports cars, even Dale Jr. was really, really impressive on Saturday. Um, but a late race spin by, uh, it was Ryan Seeg who spun on Saturday, really put Noah Gregson in a situation where his car was good on a long run. It wasn't that great on a short run. He lost the lead to Harrison Burton, and Harrison Burton went on to win the race and led two laps the entire time. So Gregson, who had the best car, um, ended up finishing in the third spot, and Dale Jr. probably had a second-best car, finished fifth. Spencer, what were your thoughts on that uh, Xfinity Series race on Saturday um, and, and Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s performance? And also, I want to give a quick note on that race. That was a race Chase Briscoe, if you missed it, had something to fall out of his race car on, on the pace laps, and he lost his crew chief, his car chief, and his engineer for four races. Uh, but what were your thoughts on the Xfinity race on Saturday, Spencer? Yeah, um... You know, what's crazy is, you know, for, you know, I, first I want to just get, you know, with me being a big Dale Jr. fan, it's, um, you know, it's cool to see him come back and run a race every year just so you can, you know, just so he's not just, you know, he's not ever going to be forgotten about, but you know what I'm saying. He gets to come back and um, run a race and put on a show for his fans, and I think that's pretty cool. And he had a hell of a run. I mean, he was really good. Like you mentioned, he was, you know, second to third place car and was battling on the bottom really for that lead. Um, for a majority of the race, um, you know, and, you know, they're Chevy too. And, you know, um, Noah Gregson's ran really well. It sucks for him. I mean, he was leading with, you know, a handful of laps to go in both of the races and the caution comes out and, you know, we could sit here and say he just won both of them. Um, so that's, that's uneventful for him. That's, you know, that's, 
he's a real emotional guy, and that's got to sting and sting. But that positive he can look at is their race cars are fast and really fast. Um, but yeah, I thought they were they were they were decent. You know, you you still had your you know the guys who run up front, run up front. Ross was up front. Briscoe's up front. Um, yeah, so I mean, you had two guys that have already won before get another win uh, with Harrison Burton and um, um, I'm drawing blank Harrison Burton and Chase Briscoe. So um, great runs for them. Um, and you know, and Anthony Alfredo, he was up there. He had another good run. And so, and, and even Michael Lynette. So there were some guys that had some pretty good finishes that you don't normally see up in the top five or, you know, in the top 10. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy it. I love Martinsville. The high group is pretty, it's fun to watch. Um, but, you know, congrats to Dale on coming back and having another good run. He did that at Darlington too and had a good run. So, um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, you know, if you're a Dale Jr. fan, I'm sure it was, it was great to see, uh, you know, I mean, I had one that was that was thrilled, and you know, unfortunately, he only, he only ended up fifth, and he really was it was probably the second best car there. There's no question, but uh, the, I think as we look at the the contender boats 250, which was the Sunday race at Homestead, really the crazy part about this weekend at Homestead was you could argue that Noah Gregson had the best car in both races and didn't get the win. Um, you know, he finished fifth on on Sunday. Chase Briscoe was your winner. Brandon Jones, second. Ross Chastain, third. A.J. Almendinger, fourth. And it was Gregson, Justin Haley, Mike Snyder, Harrison Burton, uh, Riley Herbst, and Austin Sidrick rounded out the top ten there for the Xfinity race. Um, I think that's that, that's really when we look back at these Homestead races, Philip, you know, those are going to be the two things is, is Gregson having the best race car and not winning either race. And just the, the – I think the more – I don't know if that's more impressive as far as how good Gregson really was all weekend or if Chase Briscoe was more impressive where he was able to capitalize on a win. And what they did on Saturday, which when they were four or five laps down and they were able to make up all those laps and uh, get a decent finish out of it. I know he finished seventh and wasn't really contender for a win, but get a decent finish out of it. To me, those are the two stories of the weekend for the Xfinity series was just how well uh, Noah Gregson ran and how good Chase Briscoe ran, and even though they had adversity thrown at him, they were even, they were able to make up all those laps and, and have a decent day on Saturday. Yeah, when you consider, I mean, we've heard five laps, six laps, whatever it is. I, I think it was six laps, and they were able to make up three on merit. I I believe. They only got one lucky. Or you only got one lucky dog. They had to do two wave rounds, so that means they made up three laps on merit, and they still finished seventh after giving up six laps of the field. The last time I can remember something like that was like Robbie Gordon at at Richmond in 2004. That's the the only thing that comes to my mind in terms of somebody making up that many laps. He made up four laps and he finished fourth. Uh, so that's one thing. He didn't have as good of a car. He said the heat was an issue. Uh, Gregson definitely had the best car both days. I, I mean, I would venture to say that the 98 was better than the 9 on Saturday, but it doesn't matter because he was never up front. But um, when you make up six laps in a race, that kind of tells you how fast the car is. But when you can, I think we've established a big three. Briscoe is there, Gregson is there, 
and Harrison Burton, we have a big three again in the Xfinity series. And once we get to the end of this deal, it's going to come down to one of those three guys. Um, that's a good thing. Uh, now, uh, Myatt Snyder is somebody just random, but it's somebody that announced he's going to run for the whole season. And with some of the stuff that happened during this doubleheader, there is a race for that cutoff spot in the points too. So between uh, Myatt Snyder, uh, Josh Williams, and Brandon Brown. So that's actually added a little bit of flavor uh, as we go on into the rest of the season as well uh, to look at in this Xfinity series. Because I think at the end of the day, we kind of know who's going to compete for the championship, and I think we kind of know who's going to make the 12. But it's nice to know that there might be a little bit of variety within inside of that. Yeah, and, and it's certainly something that's been lacking from the Xfinity Series the last couple of years. It'd be nice to see one of these guys, these smaller guys, not, not known guys, Mike Snyder, Josh Williams, Brandon Brown, make the playoffs and really have to fight for it. You know, and uh, I think that that really would make them stand out, the fact that they had to fight for it. So I'm really interested, in, and they got a really interesting race this weekend coming up on, on Saturday in the NASCAR Xfinity race at Talladega Super Speedway. So if you are a fan of, of the Xfinity Series and really want to see sort of that series, you know, take a, a, an interesting turn, Talladega is certainly going to do that. Next race, guys, uh, and I, I want to touch on this quick, is Truck Series Baptist Health 200. Uh, Baptist Health 200, if I can speak correctly. Kyle Busch was your winner. Of course, he was in it, late 82 laps, pretty much dominated. Tyler Ankrum was second. Ross Chastain third. Chase Elliott hit the wall a couple of times, still ended up fourth. Johnny Sauter fifth. Todd Gilland was sixth, Austin Hill seventh, Christian Eckes eighth, Matt Craft in ninth, and it was Ty Majeski uh, sneaking into the top ten there at the end of that race. Um, just a real quick thought, Philip, from you about the Truck Series race. Kyle goes in there, and the good news is about Kyle, he's only got one left for the rest of the year. But what were your thoughts on the Truck Race on Friday night from Homestead? It's, I mean, Kyle Bush, you got one more race. That's it's good for the world. Uh, the, you go and give credit to some of these regulars like Ankrum getting a second place finish, Gillen getting another top ten. Austin Hill, he had following up his win he had at Homestead a few months ago. He ran relatively well, used his pole uh, that he got through the draw and led the first 29 laps. Uh, he's He's got a big points lead early here. It's only five races in. But got a big points lead, accumulated a lot of stage points as well. So um, he's somebody to look at as this season goes on um, as a factor for a championship. And Grant Enfinger, who's one of the only people who has playoff points, he had he didn't have the finish that he probably wanted to have. But um, it's it's going to be interesting to see as this the rest of the regular season goes on uh, what, you know, you have 16 drivers trying to compete for 10 spots. So it's going to be a very deep here in the truck series. And once Kyle Busch stops showing up uh, to drive, it'll be more about the regulars and maybe the announced team will actually focus on somebody other than Kyle Busch. So it'll be good for the world. 
<laughs> For sure. How about you, Spencer? Um, real quick, some words on the, on the truck race from Homestead Miami Speedway. Yeah, I thought it was uh, pretty exciting, except, you know, I thought there was good battles up front. Um, one thing that really took place is after, you know, Chase, he was the only one to get brand new tires. I just kind of want to hit on this real quick. Um, you know, I kind of thought he had it in the bag. You know, everybody else went down pit road and put on scuffs. Um, obviously, the tires were cold that they put on because they'd been sitting on the pit road. But I could have sworn child, uh, Chase Elliott with the new tires was just going to go right through the front. But it was odd. He fell into the back probably to, I don't know, maybe eighth or ninth, really just felt like a rock when the green flag dropped. And, you know, he was able to work his way back up to second. But that was kind of odd to me um, with brand-new tires and everybody had cold scuffs that they really didn't do anything for him. Um, so that was pretty interesting to see. He was kind of like, wow, I guess new tires aren't always key. But uh, yeah, but clean air is always key, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, and it was a good run for Ankrum, you know, Ross third, Chase Elliott. And another thing about Chase is he was only supposed to do two races. He took Larson's made three, and apparently they said on Fox that he's probably going to do about five because he's really enjoying it. Um, five total. So um, he, he we don't know where he's going to be, but he might have a couple more races in that truck. And Kyle Busch has one, like you mentioned. So after those are over, it'll be regulars in the truck series, and they'll be battling for a championship all the way through the year. Yeah, and they run Pocono, uh, their next race, the week after this Next week, their next race is Pocono Raceway. So that, that'll be uh, interesting to see those guys there on the Tricky Triangle. Uh, next week, and, and again, I'm not going to to break you guys, have you guys break down Talladega because it's just, it's pretty sim- pretty self-explanatory. Talladega's crapshoot, you both Xfinity and Cup. There's, there's not much else you could say um, about Talladega Super Speedway other than, you know, if you uh, – you say that, Rex, you're probably going to have a good chance of winning if you don't. You're not. But I do want to talk about this quick, and I want to get both of your opinions on this quick. And it's the fact that NASCAR has decided, and, and initially they, they decided to have a practice session at Talladega Super Speedway for this new rules package. Well, I think it was today it was officially announced they were no longer going to have that practice session. Um, so there's no practice session there, and they're going to go with this rule package and really start it from scratch um, for the cup race on Sunday. It sounded like to me that the team sort of asked NASCAR to do it. They don't want to build a backup car and bring a backup car and get it ready, which means a bunch of nonsense. But what are your thoughts, Philip? I mean, I personally think I want to see a package go out there and be tested a little bit before we run it. Um, no, last time they had a new package, they had to make a tweak between practice and a race, and they're not doing that right now. So is there a little bit of a concern for you? Do you think there should have been a practice session? Was this a good call by NASCAR? What are your thoughts? They, when when it comes to Talladega and Daytona, you brought it up earlier, being a crapshoot and – they keep on R and Ding things and trying to figure out how to keep cars on the ground and they've had decades to try to figure out how to keep cars on the ground. They can't. Um at some point you have to realize that maybe it's gonna happen once in a while. The the further R and D which they talked about within their little session they had, uh 
you know, discussing the rule changes that they're going to make. They had a a media deal with John Probst and whatever the Padillac guy. You need to make the car safer. You need to put them, put the drivers in a place where they're not getting exposed. And the fact they're not going to run practice, it's you know, we're we're getting to a point where I think starting next year, the notion of having multiple practices and three day three day uh, weekends is probably out to try to condense the thirty six race calendar that they have. Uh, Daytona Talladega is a joke in a lot of ways in terms of how the racing is and having to practice. Most people just drive around in small packs or drive by themselves. Jimmy Johnson made a career out of driving by himself and it worked. So, I mean, is there a possibility that somebody's going to be hitting a splitter or having stuff dragging and might go and break a, a something off on the back possible but um there i think some of the changes they're going to make in terms of not wanting to have tandem drafting or push drafting if they're going to wreck they're going to wreck because they seem to figure out a way to because there's not as much respect amongst the drivers in general so it doesn't matter what they do, whether that practice or don't practice. I think they're going to wreck three quarters of the field, no matter what they do. You're right. There's no question. Uh, that is certainly what really happens at Talladega. Spencer, are you all concerned about not having a practice session or a test session with this new package at Talladega? I'll tell you why. If you're going to have practice um, for any of the tracks that we've been to since we've been back, Talladega is not the one to do it. It should be at a mile and a half where, you know, those, you know, because you can start dead last and be in the front and two laps anyways. Um, yeah, I know you kind of want to feel how your draft is in the car, but these mile and a half, so you need practice more than you need practice at Talladega. Just me. That's my opinion. Um, you know, the drivers will tell you, hey, when we go out to qualify and all that, we just hold the wheel straight and, you know, the, the hard work comes from the team. Yes, racing is a little different, but uh, you're not going to have practice anywhere else, but you're going to have it at Talladega. That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, you know, I think you kind of brought it up. I think these teams are kind of getting used to not bringing backup cars, saving a lot of money. These one-day shows, no practice, no qualifying, you can't tear up your car. All you need to do is bring down one car. That's your race car. Race is over. You load it up and you go home. So I think it's I, – I don't. I think it was kind of the right call not to have practice. Um, that would, that's, kind of, that's kind of dumb to me to have it at Talladega and not at a mile and a half where practice is more crucial because your car drives – a hell of a lot different. No, that's more. That's racing, and Talladega. It's it's racing, but it's not. You get what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I don't really care that they canceled it. Yeah, I think it's just the fact that it's a new package, and we have never run it before. Um, to me, is is the fact that is the is why we would need a practice or a test session, and and uh, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. You know, um. I know there's a difference in opinion between me and Philip, especially on the tandem racing. I'm not a fan of it. He is. And I know there's certain fans out there who love it. I like it. Um, and and I'm, Spencer likes it too. I'm, and I'm going to say this, and, and I, I hope this doesn't sound weird uh, because I have a feeling I'm not clear enough when I say this. I would prefer pack racing over tandem racing, but what I don't want is NASCAR to 
make the decision. As far as what we see in the Xfinity series, it drives me crazy that you know the drivers yeah. can push, and then you know you see one guy push somebody for for an entire lap, and because they are owned by somebody who's very important to the sport, they don't get a black flag. And you know you see another guy push somebody for half half the back stretch, and they black flag them to make it to make it. Uh, you know, it, it, to me that's totally wrong. It's like, well, and I'd just rather see him push the damn thing because I don't want to see black flag for being pushed. Um, to me, it's just craziness. So um, that to me is, is, is what I don't want to see. And I have a feeling we're going to see a lot, of, a, a very regulated race at Talladega because we don't get practice. You know, if somebody touches somebody, it's going to be regulated. I just have this weird feeling it's going to be a very, very regulated race where not NASCAR is not going to dictate the winner, but they're going to have a big say in how the racing goes, and, and I'm, not, I'm not for that at all. I want the drivers and teams to sort of dictate who wins and, and NASCAR sort of be in the background. So I'm hoping that's not the case because they don't want tandem racing. I think they've made that clear. Um, so I'm hoping that we don't see like 15 guys get black flagged on Sunday because they decided to tandem. So that's what I'm hoping. And this could have been avoided had we just, you know, had a little bit of practice. At least people could have figured out not, you know, figured out what they were going to do and how to pass without doing that. So, um, I want to thank everybody for listening tonight. That was a long show. We had a lot to get to with, with the all-star race and, and Homestead and, and four races, but uh, we have two races coming up this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway, Xfinity, and Cup, and we'll be back here on Monday next week to break it all down for you and discuss more of the news and happenings here in the NASCAR world. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.